Thanks for listening to this Table Church Sermon Podcast. We're in a series right now called God in the Margins. Now, what is a margin? Well, a margin is the space that we don't use. It's not central. It's on the periphery. It's the place that we usually ignore. And yet, when we read the Gospel of Luke, we discover something surprising. Jesus loved the margin. He spent most of his time with people who were forgotten and ignored. So join us in this series as we learn that God doesn't just love the margins. God is in the margins. And of course, be sure to check us out at tablechurchdsm.org and reach out if you need anything at all. Now, please enjoy this week's teaching. Good morning, Table Church. If you guys want to open your Bibles, um, we're going to read out of the Gospel of Luke this morning. If you don't have a Bible and need one, go ahead and raise your hand and our ushers will get you one. Uh, If you don't have one at home, go ahead and take that with you. Um, That's our our gift to you. We're going to read out of Luke 4, verses 14 through 21. It says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Trevor. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Table Church. I'm so glad that you're here this morning. We start a new series today. We're going to be walking through the Gospel of Luke. I'll explain it a little more in a second. But I just want to ask a question. Does anybody here own a label maker? Anybody have a label maker? Who loves their label maker? Anybody crazy about making labels? You know, this is a modern invention that's become quite popular among many people. Um, I've known people who get very excited about the prospect of labeling things. It just kind of scratches an itch that they have, apparently. There's something comforting about putting everything in its, pop, in its proper place. I mean, Marie Kondo, right? Like, that phenomenon has kind of proved that well, there's something hungry. We, we hunger for organization and for order in our lives. We want every box to be neatly labeled because you know what it does? It eliminates chaos. And we don't like chaos, Now, those of you who are the label maker types, I admire you. I wish I had more of that in my life, that organizational impulse. The fact is that my desk usually looks like the religion section that Barnes & Noble threw up. And my car is usually decorated with a mixture of old apple cores and dirty children's socks. So that's a little glimpse into who I am. I could use a little bit more of what you have. But there's a kind of label making that isn't so good, and we all tend to like this kind of label making, and that's where we label each other. We assign people to certain boxes, and then we slap a label on the box, and everything that goes with that label we assign to that person in the box, whether it's true or not. We don't always take the time to approach the relationship with some sort of nuance to try to really understand where they're coming from, why they think these things, what reasons they may have, what kind of thought they've put into it. No, we too often are quick to just slap a label on somebody and be done with it. 
And so we have all these labels like liberal or conservative or pro progressive and, and so on. And, you know, um, the impulse behind that is the same impulse behind wanting to organize our stuff. It's been, we want to eliminate chaos. And if we can't box people in, if we can't organize them well, that creates confusion. You know, Christians do this a lot. One label that we've created is, and we apply to other Christians, is the label conservative Christians. Uh, so conservative Christians, that often brings the assumption that they're the ones who are always quoting Bible verses and inviting people to ask for forgiveness of their sins and for Jesus to be their personal savior, to be born again, to quote, liberal Christians, the conservative Christians, are, they only seem to care about heaven and don't really care about what's going on right here, right now on earth. At least that's the criticism usually. But then you've got the liberal Christians, and they're the ones that we often label social gospel. Uh, and the assumption there often is that they don't care very much about having sins forgiven or personal holiness, but you know they're just interested in helping the poor and advocating for political policies to protect the environment. And to conservatives, those Christians only seem to care about, quote, earthly things. And round and round we go with these debates. And so we begin a, a, a series on the book of Luke, like I said. The name of this series is God in the Margins. It's God in the Margins. We're looking through the gospel at, at God's heart for the poor and for the marginalized and for the oppressed. And it just so happens that this is a big theme in the gospel of Luke. It's a big theme in all the gospels, but Luke seems to bring it out uh, in a particular sort of way. And so we're going to be looking at this gospel in the next four or five or six weeks or something. And something I love about this book and our passage today is it just explodes our labels. It absolutely defies the labels that we often try to slap on one another as Christians. Now, I hope that something about each of those two labels I just described is true of me. Because you know what? Something about each of those labels is true of Jesus. And the fact is that as soon as we try to label Jesus or squeeze Jesus into a box, he's going to break the rules at some point. We're going to be wrong about him at some point. He's always doing something that we don't particularly expect. And so look, the only label we should care about is the one that says Jesus, okay? Um, and that's an important point to make. I make it at the beginning of a series on justice because a lot of times people hear a series on justice, oh, it must be liberal, you know? No. No, we're just, we're just trying to be a Jesus church. I don't care about being conservative or liberal. Sometimes my following of Jesus will lead me on into things that smell like either of those, but that's not the reason. The reason is because I just want to follow Jesus the best I can. And here's one thing you can't ignore as you follow Jesus. Jesus cares about the poor, the marginalized, the outcasts, those whom we have forgotten. The gospel is good news. That's literally what the word means in Greek. It is good news. But it is good news in the, every sense of the word. It's good news for your soul, and it's good news in the socio-political sense. It's the fact that through Christ, we can be made new. I can be transformed into a new, a new person. I can be forgiven of my sin. I can be set free from my addictions and the bondage of sin. All those things are true. I can have my eternity sealed with Jesus. And it's about God bringing down oppressive powers in the world and lifting up the poor. 
That's good news. Look at how our passage effortlessly weaves together what we often think of as the spiritual and the earthly. So chapter 4 begins with Jesus. He's fasting in the desert. He's being tempted by the devil. The first half of the chapter is all about spiritual disciplines and personal holiness, you might say. Also, notice how much emphasis this passage, this whole chapter, puts on being in the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that means that conservatives, liberals, and Pentecostals all get a piece in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus is full of the Holy Spirit, it says. In the same verse, it says that Jesus was led by the Spirit. In verse 14, he says that he's in the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 18, Jesus says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And then Jesus walks into the synagogue and he reads from the book of Isaiah. And this is the, this is the first time Jesus has ever spoken publicly in the Gospel of Luke. Okay, this is the first time that he opens his mouth, and this is what he reads. He chooses to read this passage from Isaiah to launch his ministry. And it says this, Trevor read it a moment ago, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which, by the way, is a Sabbath Reference Every 50 years in the Old Testament, they were supposed to have a jubilee year where anybody who was in debt had their debt forgiven and you returned to the land. If you'd lost your land through generations, you get your land back. There's just this year of jubilee where everything's kind of reset. The year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying all that stuff that was prophesied thousand years ago, guess what? It's happening now, today. Think about how bold that is. Like they've been reading these prophecies for thousands of years. And Jesus just kind of nonchalantly stands up, reads it, hands the scroll back, sits down. Oh, by the way, that's happening today. It's wild. And so I don't want us to miss how important this is, how, how just cataclysmic this would have felt to the people that heard it. I also don't want us to miss how the Bible just weaves together things like spiritual warfare, personal holiness, being in the spirit, and social justice. All those things are right next to each other. In this passage. Listen, to be spirit-filled means to join God in undoing the corruption of sin, wherever it may be. And sometimes it means telling somebody, hey, you know, your sins can be forgiven. God wants a relationship with you. God loves you. Would you like to step into that relationship now? Here's how you do it. Sometimes that's what it looks like. Sometimes it looks like advocating for a group, a marginalized group, whose society has overlooked, who our laws have ground down, or whatever the case may be. All of these things and more can be what it means to be a spirit-filled Christian. And so after Jesus reads from the scroll, he hands it back and he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so now Jesus has read the passage, but when he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing, this is the first time he's actually spoken than when he's not reading something, right? This is the first time Jesus is like communicating now in the Gospel of Luke. And the first word of Jesus' public ministry is the word today. I think that's meaningful. Jesus' presence brings change now, it says. Isaiah's prophecy about good news for the poor is happening now. Spirit-filled people will be about today. Jesus' favorite phrase to use when announcing the gospel is, the time has come. Jesus is saying something's different than it was yesterday. 
Something's different now than it was last week. Through me and in me, things are changing. Something's going down and it's new and it's fresh and you've never seen anything like it and you could have never guessed it was going to happen, but it's happening today. Look, for the people of God, the time for the gospel to be fulfilled is always now. And what we learn from this passage is that when the Holy Spirit fills us, one of the places we will be is in the margins of society. This series is called God in the Margins, not God cares for the margins or God thinks a lot about the people in the margins or God loves the people in the margins. It's God in the margins because that's where Jesus is throughout the Gospels. He is with the people that are so often left behind. And that's how he kicks off his ministry with this this spirit-filled announcement that he was coming for the poor, the captives, the blind. Look, God likes to hang out in the margins. This passage is Jesus' introduction to the ministry, and it's setting the tone for everything that will happen later. You know how when a book has an introduction, it's like we're, you're get, they're giving you an idea of what this book is about, why it's there, what it means. Everything that comes later can be traced back to this. And that's the same for the Gospel of Luke. In fact, in chapter 7, John the Baptist is in prison. Now, John the Baptist, of course, I mean, that guy, you know, he was pretty rock solid, Right? Well, now he's in prison, and, and, and you kind of read between the lines in the story, but you get the sense that John the Baptist is starting to have some doubts. He, he's thinking, okay, if Jesus is really who I thought he was, why am I rotting in a jail cell? If he's really the Messiah, the anointed one, the one who has come to conquer for us, why am I in this prison cell? And so he sends some of his friends to Jesus to ask him, if Jesus is really the Messiah, if he's really the one that he says he is. Look at Jesus' response. It says, so he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Now this is important. Jesus gives them a lot of things that just happened, right? A lot of really amazing things, miraculous things, but part of it is that the good news is proclaimed to the poor. So look, the evidence for the truth of Jesus' claims is the fact that the marginalized are restored. John's like, hey, how do I really know it's you? And Jesus is like, look at all the people who are being restored. That's how you know that's who I am. And the same thing is true today. Like if we want to show the world that the God we serve is true, that Jesus is who we say he is, Show them the places where Jesus is restoring people through the church. That's what a spirit-filled church will do. And notice, Jesus does it both in miraculous ways and simply through sharing the gospel. He says, you know, the blind are healed, but also the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, it's both miraculous ministry and acts of compassion. It's miraculous ministry and acts of compassion. And it's all coming through a spirit-filled heart that is surrendered fully to God. Back in our service on January 1st this year, I shared an opportunity that Table Church has to join the organization Immigrant Connection. Um, And I talked about it a little bit that day, and then I sent an email out with some more information. Um, So hopefully you've kind of seen that, heard about it. Uh, But I want to talk a little bit more about it today. Um, because it has a lot to do with the heartbeat that I think we see in the Gospel of Luke. Immigrant Connection 
is uh, an organization that empowers local churches like us to become Department of Justice approved immigration legal centers or immigration legal service providers. Okay, so when I say that, we're, that we would be Department of Justice approved, I don't mean we work for the government. I mean that we have been accredited by the government to offer legal services uh, for um, refugees and immigrants in our community. And it does this in a way that's low, low cost but high quality. And, and so it's often a fraction of the cost that somebody might pay at a lawyer, for example, but they would be able to come to us and receive services that they desperately need for a fraction of the cost. And I think that this is something that God has just been orchestrating uh, with Table Church and in Table Church for, for some time. I look back and I think about how two years ago we launched this tutoring program for kids, and all of the kids come from, they're all second-generation immigrants. Um, and I think about how our ministry center that we purchased is just kind of right smack in the middle of our city in an area that's highly populated with refugees and immigrants. And I think about the relationships that we've formed with refugees and immigrants. And even just this week, I was in the home of a, a, a refugee family, giving them a coat. Uh, like there, there's all sorts of opportunities that God has given us, and, um, and I just can't ignore it. And, and so when this idea came along to become an immigration connection center, it just felt like it fit like a glove, like God had been kind of empowering and orchestrating this and, and wiring us to do this for, for some time. But I know that for some of us, there may be some questions about what it really means, and it's hard for me to explain it quickly. And so since you've already heard me talk about it, I want to take a little bit deeper of a dive, and I'm actually going to have us hear from somebody else. I recorded a Zoom interview with Zach Zamara. Zach is the leader of Immigrant Connection, and uh, he's going to give you a whole lot more information, a lot better information, um, and it comes from a place of passion for him and you're going to see that here in just a second. This video is a little bit longer. It's about 13 minutes. And so when it's over, I'll come up and I'll, I'll wrap up. But hopefully by the end of it, you'll have a good sense of what God is doing in our midst. So go ahead and take a look at this video. Well, Zach, thank you for joining me today uh, to help us learn a little bit more about Immigrant Connection. Would you start by just helping us understand what is Immigrant Connection? Yeah, how I always call it the elevator pitch, like how tallest building in your city, how... Mine's only four stories high, so it's got to be kind of short. But um, so uh, Immigrant Connection exists to ensure greater access to uh, high quality, low cost immigration legal services, which seems like a lot. But the way to think about this is the immigrant population in the United States is growing rapidly everywhere, not just on the coast anymore, not just in big cities, but everywhere. And the paramount need that immigrants have is access to immigration legal services because the security and stability uh, that lawful status has, it touches every aspect of an immigrant family's lives. And so being able to have access to immigration legal services is really, really, really important. And the problem or the obstacle is that while the immigrant population continues to increase, there just aren't a lot of providers of immigration legal services. Um, and so most immigrants have to pay lots of money that they can't afford, drive very, very far distances that are very difficult. And then there's long waits that in a thing like immigration legal services, waiting is not something uh, that sometimes is even possible because you can fall out of status while you wait. And so Immigrant Connection, what is unique about us is uh, we found out that there's a program through the federal government, the Department of Justice, 
that works specifically with nonprofits and allows non-attorneys who would get experience in education and immigration law to actually open immigration like law offices, which seems crazy that exists, but it exists and it's in the government. And what's great for us as the church is the church is a nonprofit. And so when we heard about that, like Immigrant Connection, this was in 2013 when we kind of started, it was like, well, what would it look like if the church did this? And the church being able to do this means we can do it in places that that other law firms and other nonprofits can't because we uniquely can be everywhere, right, as the people of God. And so we help churches, we partner with churches all throughout the country, um, open immigration legal service offices in their communities to serve immigrants in this need that they have that's their greatest need. So when you say immigration legal services, give me a few examples of exactly what you mean. Yeah, so sometimes it's, I think when most people, they think citizenship, and, uh, and that's one of the things we help. That's kind of like the final step. I think if, if your, uh, your church is, you have people watching, if you don't know about immigration, I think often we think it's, you have citizens and people who are undocumented, but there's a lot in between there. But one of the things we help with is that final step of helping someone who's a lawful permanent resident finally become a citizen and, and file that. The other thing we help a lot with is family reunification. Um, family members, like if you are a U.S. citizen or a lawful permanent resident, many times you can request you know, your spouse, your children, parents. And so oftentimes we help families who are living apart reunite and be able to live together. Uh, and then there's also all kinds of different lawful statuses that need renewals, like even a green card. It's lawful. The word is permanent residence. And you maintain your permanent residency, but your card that proves it expires every 10 years. So we help you renew it. Uh, then there's things like if if anyone watches the news, you know, Afghan, Afghan people, Ukrainians, Venezuelans, um, Haitians, uh, Burmese. There's a lot of like temporary statuses now that people arrive in the country and they're given two years. And within that two years, they have to find some other pathway to be able to maintain uh, their ability to work and stay in the United States. And so our offices often help with those kind of situations that are unique, um, uh, you know, and then there's all kinds of other like little ones where depending, you know, what shows you watch on TV, you know, we help with the K-1 visa, the fiance visa, we help international students who want to stay in the country after they've got their education. You know, sometimes international students, like a lot of us in college, meet our significant other and we decide to get married. And then it's like, well, I'm supposed to go back home. Can I stay? You know, we help with those kind of situations. So really what's unique about Immigrant Connection is when we say immigration legal services, it's a pretty broad term and it can help in a pretty broad uh, number of ways because there's a lot of pathways and so we just get the unique uh, ability to learn lots of this complexity and then almost become like a trail guide to use like another analogy and help people navigate through a pretty compact, complex trail to get them to, you know, the end goal that they want, which is usually stability, reunification for their family, just security um, and, and a preferred future. Okay, so why uh, why does there need to be one of these in Des Moines, would you say? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I was talking to Pastor Phil and like the reality is, is I have been praying for Iowa uh, since about 2015. Um, Iowa is a unique state that has lots and lots of immigrants and you have lots and lots of immigrants for the same reason that Indiana, where I'm from, has lots and lots of immigrants. The, you know, when it comes to like the meat packing industry, when it comes to agriculture, and when it comes to dairy farms and other farms, it's like, there is a need for the foreign born workforce to fill these roles. And so a lot of communities in Iowa, also in Indiana, were communities that weren't very diverse. And yet in the past 20 years, they become very, very diverse. And so immigrants continue to pour in to these places, but service providers have not been able to open offices at the same rate as the immigrant population has increased. And so right now, um, there's a, a Tyson Fresh Foods plant in Perry, like near Des Moines, you know, and and we actually drive from Kansas City, our Immigrant Connection office, we drive to Perry, we drive to Waterloo, we drive to Storm Lake, we drive to Sioux City, we drive into Iowa from surrounding states because right now immigrants have to drive the other way. And so I have been praying and I'm so grateful that you're answering what I think is definitely God's call to open our first office in Iowa so that people, instead of having to leave and drive three hours, you know, to get to Illinois or get to, you know, Kansas or Nebraska, will be able to drive to Des Moines and receive services right in their state. Because, you know, right now, I think in the state of Iowa, there's really only two providers uh, and you know, due to COVID and other things, uh, even they have kind of are starting to do less, not more. And so there's been a really real need for access uh, in Iowa. So I'm super excited. Uh, so, yeah, with the first time that we spoke, I think you used the phrase like immigration legal desert. For yes. Like yes. Not enough resources. in this. Yeah. State. And that's one of the ones that hopefully will connect with people. We talk about food deserts often for people. It's like there's these immigration legal deserts. So um, I was in Iowa actually for the first time recently um, uh, at some Tyson plants and a lady came up to me and she was crying and she thanked us for coming. And I was like, you know, we're, we're so grateful to serve you. And she said for the first time, she had lived in Iowa for 10 years. She said for the first time I was able to take a vacation with my family. And I said, like, well, help me understand. And she's like, well, every other time I would take vacation time from work and we would drive across to Omaha and we would wait for hours in an immigration attorney's office. And that's where all the money went and all my time off went. And because now I have access right here in Iowa, it means, you know, I've been able to save money and we can actually take vacation time for actual vacation. And I thought to myself, like, like e even myself who have been doing this for almost 10 years, you forget the layers of like when we can provide and help in this one area, the ripple effects it has not just for individuals, but also for families. And so when we provide access in an immigration legal desert, it allows like so much other just unique, um, just transformative things to happen in a community. So last question, tell me why yeah. you think uh, the church, why Christians should care about immigration? Yeah, obviously people could probably tell I'm already long-winded and this one's a really long one, but if I can keep it short, you know, I think, I think the church, I think Christians, followers of Jesus, we are uniquely called to this. Uh, I often share, you know, if, if you're looking at the Old Testament, most people who care about biblical justice uh, know about the quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. 
But what I think the most unique thing I've learned as I've studied that group is that in the ancient Near East, it was common morality, common ethics, that even non-people of Yahweh, non-Israelites, were called to love the poor, the widow, and the orphan. That was just like, if you were a king in the ancient Near East, you were called to stand in the gap for those vulnerable populations. It's uniquely the foreigner that most societies, most cultures all around the globe today and all around the globe historically have viewed foreigners, immigrants as threats or burdens. And God says, I love immigrants. They're one of my favorites. And so follow my lead and love immigrants as well. And so I think when it comes to immigration and immigrants, that this is a unique witness of the people of God to say, we know it's not normal. In fact, we know that like in our own strength, it's, it's almost impossible. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the witness of the power of the gospel, we are called to love and welcome immigrants. And it allows us to have a positive witness in our community in pretty, pretty profound ways. Uh, two more things I'll, I'll share, and you can obviously edit these if you want to. But it's like in the New Testament, you have that passage in Matthew 25 where Jesus, it says at the end of the age, you know, separating the sheep and the goats. And it's like, you know, when I was an immigrant, you welcomed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. I think what's unique for the church to realize about that passage is it's not individuals. So at the end of the age, he gathers ethnos, groups. And I don't know how to distinguish what that means, but it's definitely communities. And so I think it poses a question, like how does Table Church as a community, like show welcome? How do you as the community in Des Moines, as the state of Iowa, like how do we set up systems and structures that provide access and welcome? And I think Immigrant Connection is one of those ways that we live into welcoming Jesus as the immigrants. And then the other thing is as leaders, I mean, I don't know about you, Phil, but like if I had to make a list of like 10 characteristics of like a Christian leader or a church leader, I don't know if hospitality would be on my list, but it's on Paul's and Peter's and the writer of Hebrews. Like the lists in the Bible always put hospitality, which I know we make it kind of hosting the Super Bowl party. That's like the, the litmus test of, but it's like hospitality biblically is phylloxenos, philo, love, xenos, immigrants. It isn't just welcoming people that look like us that we don't yet know. It's actually welcoming, you know, the other. It's welcoming immigrants. And this is a characteristic that we are called to have. And I think the reason why is I think it's a mark of the Holy Spirit at work in us. I think it's natural. You know, it's I mean, anyone like who's listening, who thinks immigrants and it's like if, if you're in a space and immigrants moving to your neighborhood to kind of question and be like, you know, what's going on? Like, are things going to change? Am I going to have to do like, that's the normal reaction. And yet the reaction of the gospel witness in us is to kind of have this transformed behavior where we love and welcome and kind of lead with that. Um, and so, I mean, I definitely think this is really, really, really important for the church and Christians. I think it's in some ways. Yeah. I think it's one of the most transformative things we're, we're called to do that we forget about. And it's all over the arc of scripture that immigrants matter to the heart of God, so they should matter to us as well. Wow, I, that was awesome. <laughs> uh, I'm getting blessed. Thank you, for <laughs> Zach. I think yeah. it's, it's just dripping with the gospel, what you guys yeah. are doing. We're excited that we have the opportunity to be a part of it, and we're praying for what God's going to do moving forward. Yeah, that's great. Thanks so much. I'll be praying for the church as they move forward.
Yeah, so there's just so much reason to see what God is doing here and how, I just love the fact that like the quartet of the vulnerable, the, the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the immigrant, those first three were pretty common to care about in the ancient Near East, pretty common to care about today. That last one though, immigrant, nobody cared about somebody who wasn't part of their clan or their, their, clan or their tribe or, or their nation. And yet the people of God were different. They were like, no. Our God cares for them. Our God is different than all those other gods. You know, in the Old Testament, it says that if an Israelite becomes poor, treat them like you would a foreigner, it says. And it's like, well, that, well, that sounds kind of harsh, doesn't it? Why treat them like a foreigner? Well, why? Well, because they treated foreigners so well that if somebody fell on hard times among them, they would be fine because they were treated like a foreigner, you know, because they were commanded to love the immigrant so well. This is what makes us unique as the people of God. This is one of our defining characteristics that God has called us to do this kind of thing. As we were watching the video just now, Moses actually sent me a text telling me, I didn't know this, I think he was, thought he was reminding me, I don't think I knew this, that one of our uh, kids that is in Rise Up, his mom actually works at the meat packing plant in Perry, the Tyson plant that he just mentioned. And so just further kind of confirmation of the, the crazy ways that God is bringing some things together. So here's what I would love from you. I would love for you to pray about this uh, right now Taryn Obink, as well as my wife, Natalie Wiseman, are going through the DOJ training. It is intense. It's eight weeks of just kind of drinking from a fire hose, learning about immigration law, which is one of the most complex kinds of law there is. I mean, imagine coming to America, not knowing English, and being like, hey, do your taxes. <laughs> like, that's what this is like for people. And so we want to be people who can help them as best we can. So we pray for Taryn and for Natalie. Um, they just have both commented how it's only week three of eight. It feels like a lot longer than three weeks. And then after that, there's some shadowing. They're going to have to travel a little bit. Uh, and then we start the application to the DOJ in order to get approved. All of this can take about 18 months. So it's going to be a little while before we're up and running. But just pray that it goes smoothly, that it goes quickly, and that God would be in every step of it. Also pray that this is not just a work of people, but a work of God. Um, when we, earlier we said that to be a spirit-filled church means to join God in undoing the corruption of sin wherever it may be. The key word is join God, okay? Just doing good things is not a mark of the spirit. Just doing a bunch of good things is not, is not joining God. We want to join God. If he is in this, then we want to be there. We believe right now that he is in it. And if he's not, then ask him to stop us in our tracks. But if he is, then let this be true of us. Let this be something that we do as a witness for our community, as a way to shine the light of the gospel in places that are dark, as a way to help people understand that our God is a God whose heart is to restore a broken world and to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus said the spirit of the Lord was on him to proclaim good news to the poor. That's what we're going to explore in this series as we go through it, and that's what I pray will be true more and more of Table Church. Would you pray with me? Oh God, thank you for the fact that you have a heart of justice, a heart of compassion, and a heart of mercy in ways, Lord, that even we can't describe and understand. And help us today to just take just a little bit more of that and express it to our world, to our community that's often hostile to us as Christians, often looks at us weird, 
doesn't understand why we believe what we believe. And yet, Lord, it seems to me that the gospel shows us that when we start living out this heartbeat of yours for those who are for often forgotten or ignored, those who are on hard time, God, that, that creates a space where people can behold your glory and give you praise. And so may our good deeds show the rest of the world that you are the true God. Will you inhabit us? Would you fill us? Would you help us to be a spiritual force, shining your light and being your hands and feet in this world, we pray, Lord, in your name.